Hi, this is David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. That's right. Comes to you every week from Yerushalayim. And this week we have a studio audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Would you like to be part of the Rabbi Orlovsky studio audience? Yes. Just get on a plane and fly to Eretzrael and travel to Yerushalayim and come to my home. And you can sit here too. But that's not all that we have added here on the Rabbi Olavsky Show, because almost from the beginning, people have been asking me for sponsorship opportunities. People would like to dedicate a podcast in memory of a loved one, in honor of a loved one, uh, just in honor of themselves, and uh, I will make a speech about you. I have no problem. I will be more than happy to do that. And in fact, uh, you know, I have... My father's yard site, my mother's yard site coming up. But you could take that podcast anyway. I don't really care. Because I'll tell you a story. It's a true story. Um, my, <laughs> it's a true story. My father, um, uh, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I had this trip to America that was just a terrible trip. And the, I was in three cities a day for the first week. The next time, I was speaking in the morning, speaking in the afternoon, and speaking at night for an entire week. And then, at the very end of the trip, I flew out to L.A. From L.A., I flew the next day to Miami. From Miami, I flew to New York, rented a car, spoke in Philadelphia, and then I came back home. And I was supposed to be leaving for the airport, and my father said to me, it's not right. You come into America, you don't make time for your parents. And I said, Dad, you're the one who said I'm not going to support you anymore, and you'd better go out and make some money. So I'm running around doing this because, and I wasn't even getting paid by the speech. I was doing this for a school, you know. And uh, he says, I don't care. Whatever it is, you have to make time. You have to make time. Just then the phone rings, and it was the hospital. And they said, we found something on your lungs. You're going to have to come in. And my mother started crying. She did not stop crying for the next two years. My father's reassuring her, don't worry, everything will be all right, everything will be we'll managed, we'll get through. And I had to say, well, bye everybody, I gotta go to the airport. It was just a horrific scene, absolutely horrific. So I came back for the next trip, and I scheduled to spend Shabbos with my parents after this whole Muslim was, and especially now my father's sick. And, uh, and somebody wanted me to come for that Shabbos, and I said, I can't come. And they said, Rabbi we offer you a very large sum of money. And I said, I can't do it. And then she doubled the amount of money. And I said, I can't do it. My father is sick. He wants me to spend time. And I came back and I told my father, I said, you know, Dad, I'm spending this Shabbos with you. But this school offered me X number of dollars to come for Shabbos. And I said, no, I'd rather spend it with my father. And my father said, you should have taken the money. <laughs> so, so that just gives you an idea what, uh, what, what he would have wanted <laughs> uh, for that podcast. Anyway, but uh, there is an opportunity for you to sponsor. You can go on my website and go to the podcast section and go to uh, sponsor, and you could sponsor a podcast, and uh, we will speak about you. Now, last week... Um, I got many, many emails this week from people worrying that I was actually having a nervous breakdown. I'm not. I'm really very fine. I'm back on my meds. Everything's fine. You see? <laughs> but, uh, but the fact of the matter is that um, I, I, I really wanted to... I, I, I was never upset. I was never upset. I, uh, I, I wanted to be able to bring out different things. And I think the most amazing thing... I mean, I, there were a lot of people who commented. And one person said... Um, you know, I'm looking forward 
to get your mother's brisket recipe. Now, I'll tell you why, because I, I gave my mother's uh, vegetable soup recipe last week, and she says, because of the story with the brisket. I don't know if I ever told this on the podcast. I don't remember if I did or not. But um, my father hated waste. He grew up in the Depression. Wasting was the worst thing you could possibly do. So whoever made this comment had obviously heard me tell this story before. So, uh, but my family wouldn't eat leftovers. It was an amazing thing. You can't waste, but you wouldn't eat leftovers. So my mother would make a first-cut brisket every Shabbos, and uh, whatever was left, uh, so sometimes she'd make it into a goulash, sometimes she'd do things with it, a lot of times, uh, you know, throw it away, but my father would go crazy. So my mother would put it into a plastic bag and stick it into another bag of garbage and have me take it out to the garbage can and stick it on the bottom of the garbage can, and I did this for years. And I got married, and my father wanted to give me marital advice, and, uh, and he says, he says, listen, you know, the most important thing is you have to be understanding. Nobody's perfect. It says, take your mother. I love your mother. She's terrific. She's loyal. She's, I couldn't ask for a better person in the world. But she wastes. It gets me crazy. You know? She throws away half a brisket. She hides it at the bottom of the garbage can, thinks I'm not going to find it. But I find it every time. So, uh, so that's the story. So the person must have heard the story, and they said, well, how does she make the brisket? You know? Now, don't throw it away. <laughs> if you're going to use my mother's recipe, don't throw it away. If we've learned one thing from this story. So how did she make her brisket? Now, I'm going to have to add a caveat here. Uh, my mother taught me how to cook by the it's easy, stupid method. That's how my mother said it. She'd say, make this. I said, I can't. She says, it's easy, stupid. I'll give you an example. Right? Roast chicken. <laughs> what could be easier than roast chicken? You slice some onions, put it into a pan, put in the chicken, sprinkle some garlic and paprika, stick it in the oven at 350. That's it. It's roast chicken. I, I, we, I once had this newlywed who said to me, how do you make roast chicken? I, I know how to make, I, I go to the cookbooks and they have chickens with sauce and chickens with this. Nobody tells you how to make roast chicken. So Baruch Hashem, my mother would say, it's easy, stupid. That's how you made it. A brisket was the same method. You slice up some onions, put in the brisket, put on some garlic and paprika, stick it in the oven at 350 for whatever it was, an hour. She did a first cut brisket. Now, I have to add a caveat because that works for an American brisket. Israeli briskets are tough. These are tough cows. These are not like the cows in America, which are soft and easygoing. These sit on the bars of limb and they spit Gary Nim and they're tough. <laughs> These are tough cows. <laughs> These are tough cows. So I've been working on this method. Now my son, what he does is he puts in a little, he, put, he takes the brisket, he salts, puts on salt and paprika and a little bit of sauce, you know, a little liquid, he covers it up and he leaves it in the oven at 250 degrees he says for 14 hours. I find when you do that, it falls apart. I think it's more like uh, 8, 10 hours. And you can check, yeah? And then that's how he does it so it comes out soft because this is tough meat. Um, I came up with this great method where I do it on, on the stovetop where you brown it on both sides, you know, and you put on the garlic and paprika and you put it in and I add some tomato sauce and I add some wine, red wine. I put in some bay leaves. I put in some... <laughs> Coca-Cola, and I put in some uh, uh, a little soy sauce, you know, and I bring it to a simmer, and I let it simmer for about, oh, I'd say four hours on a very low heat, and it comes out gewaldig. 
Now, my mother used to make her brisket with potatoes, and roast potatoes and brisket, but I'm not going to do this if I'm cooking for four hours. So for me, I do it for, uh, uh, I make rice. It goes with the sauce. It's wonderful. Anyway, that's, that's the brisket recipe. But one of the things I talked about is that somebody was upset about the sign, and, um, and somebody made a comment. I must read this. It's actually on YouTube. You can go and see it there yourselves. But um, I found this so, so deep so philosophical and so brilliant that I want to share it with you. I love the Rabbi David Orlovsky show sign subplot of the show. One week it's on the left, but curling at the corner. The next it's on the right. Last week it was upside down, drawing the viewer's attention, demanding the question, what is the sign for? Let's just take a moment to reflect on this. Clearly not to add a polished look. Is it simply informational? But... We all know that we clicked on what we clicked on before we clicked on it. It's in the title of the video. Does the sign matter? Well, clearly it does because it's placed in a fresh spot every week. So someone is deciding every week that it needs to be there. This causes one to delve deeper. What is a sign anyway? Perhaps this is a commentary on society's need to place labels on everything and how it's silly and meaningless. Perhaps this is an illustration of the classic battle of the ego saying, I like having a show with my name in the title, and so I print a sign, but I don't like the part of me, so I publicly treat the sign poorly. Fascinating stuff. I can't wait to see where the sign goes next week. P.S. I like the speech also. <laughs> now, all I can say is, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> You were mamish mechavenzain. I just can't believe it. Anyway, uh, okay, episode 14. This is Parsha's bow. I said this last week. Parsha's bow is my bar mitzvah Parsha. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, bo el paro, ki ani. Only a bar mitzvah boy can lane this way. Anybody else will be beaten to death. She's allowed to be mitzrayim. So, so, saya she'samti bam. Yeah. So it's nice and slow. Everybody's listening. Back then, oh, you got a piece of sponge cake and Manischewitz wine, but it was worth it. People sat through a bar mitzvah, yeah. And um, and uh, it's so interesting. I just saw there was a comedian by the name of Alan King who claims he grew up in an Orthodox home, and um, and he was speaking about his son's bar mitzvah. I, I I heard a recording where he was talking about his son's bar mitzvah, and he says, "I made a rule that you don't get to come to the reception unless you come." to the synagogue Saturday morning. Well, interesting, interesting thing, yeah? So, uh, um, so in any event, uh, it was my bar mitzvah, and uh, this was a turning point in my life, which I'm sharing with you, because you are my community. And, uh, and uh, I was uh, bar mitzvah in the East Meadow Jewish Center, which was a conservative synagogue, um, that my parents had founded, uh, among other people, obviously, not alone. Um, but uh, it was of a generation. My father grew up in an Orthodox home. But uh, he came out to Long Island. You know, all the, all the shuls that were being started was conservative. One of the other founders told me why. He says, uh, we asked people to come out and help us start the, start the shul. And so the Orthodox basically said, we have nothing to offer you. Reform was too goyish for us. Most of us grew up in Orthodox homes. 
And conservative, they offered to give us seed money. They offered us a constitution. They said they would pay a rabbi at the beginning, you know, and they would get us started. So that's why there was this wave of conservative synagogues. And uh, they used an Orthodox sitter, and they had an Orthodox chazan and an Orthodox rav, but they had mixed seating. And, uh, and it was interesting. And um, I had personally uh, became Shomba Torah Mitzvahs about uh, a few months before my bar mitzvah. And uh, I was walking to shul, as I had already for months. And cars kept pulling up, offering me rides. I kept saying, thank you very much, but I, you know, I, I, need the, I need the walk, you know? And, uh, and it was amazing. Now, my father's father, his mother passed away before I was born. He got remarried. And uh, I didn't have much of a relationship with my grandfather because he only spoke Yiddish. And um, Yiddish was my parents' secret language. They only spoke when they didn't want me to know what they were saying. So they would speak to each other in a secret language, you know. And you pick up terms, you know. My oldest brother was the Gereisa, and my youngest brother was the Kleina, and I was the Andera, yeah, which means the other one, yeah. And uh, so I, you listen for certain phrases, like uh, if I'd hear my mother say to my father, given the Kindelach the Geld, I would say, the Andera is due. <laughs> that was the extent of my Yiddish. So, uh, so... My grandfather always spoke Yiddish, and uh, I remember at some point he went senile. To this day, I, I associate speaking Yiddish with senility, and uh, I really had no relationship with him. It's, it's a pity. I wish I did. But he married a woman who, who his second wife who spoke English, and they came to my house for my bar mitzvah, and it was the first real Shabbos in my home that I remember. It was, I, I remember Friday night, I was practicing my, uh, my laning, and there was my step-grandmother with a, with a tichel sitting at the table saying Tehillim. It was such a such a powerful experience for me that uh, to be able to see something like this, and uh, you know, you go into a bar mitzvah. It was a um, um, for me, it was a deeply meaningful experience. Obviously, so Parshas Bo. I want to share some thoughts on Parshas Bo. It's not my actual bar mitzvah speech, as I mentioned last week. Uh, I had a printed out piece of paper that uh, every kid would make a uh, standard speech. So I don't want to share that one with you. But um, there are certain vartlach that are on every parasha that everyone knows. Now, I know this because I used to have guys, when they would come to my house, I made everybody say a Devar Torah. I was younger then. Um, I don't have the strength for it anymore. And, uh, and the most important thing is, obviously, uh, I picked this up uh, one week when a guy came in. He had it written out. And he read this Devar Torah, and it was incoherent. I mean, there was no way to understand it. And I, and I look at his paper, I can't figure it out. I said, where'd you get this from? He says, the Yamasli Yaakov. I look at him, the Yamasli Yaakov. It's, it's about three lines. It's all Meyer Makomos and Rashi Tevos. I'm looking it up. I'm trying to figure out what he's talking about. I said, why would you choose this one? And he said, it's the shortest. It's the shortest. And um, I used to have a guy come to my house many times. He would always say the same about Torah. The Torah starts with the Bays and ends with a Lamed. Backwards, it spells Lev. You should always learn the Torah with all your heart. And after a while, uh, it wasn't that powerful a word to start with. And after a while, it started to get a little, a little trite. I said to him, you know, the Torah starts with a base and ends with a lamed. If you say that twice, it's balbel. You just mix everything up. So I don't think you should say that. One of my kids observed that Torah begins with a tough and ends with a hey. You should always have a cup of tea when you learn Torah. You know, so, you know. but this was a, this was a word. This, uh, this went along. This, uh, this, would, uh, this was considered attractive. Uh, back then. Um, but there are certain Vortlach that everybody knows. Parsha's bow 
has one of those famous vertlach. Bo in gematria is three. And that's because there are three makos in Parsha's Bo. Wait for it. Parsha's Ve'era has seven makos. Now, the first two letters of Parsha's Bo equals three. Shkoyach, there are only two letters. But the first two letters equal three. The first two letters of Ve'era equal seven. And there's seven makos in Ve'era and three in Bo. Look how this all fits together. And I also, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Torah starts with a base and ends with a lam. And backwards it spells lave. Yes, anyway. But this little vart on Parsha's Bo is a vart that everybody knows. But I think there's something that's more important than that. Ramesha Shapiro used to say that the end of the, the end of the Parsha, you know, what comes at the end more or less sums everything up. So, for example, in Parsha's Toldos, he pointed this out, that the very last thing is that Esav marries the daughter of Yishmael. Why? Because since Yaakov is going off to build Klai Yisrael, our two mortal enemies, Esav and Yishmael, are joining together to be able to destroy us. So there's a, the, the, the end of the Parsha really ties it all together, if you, can, if you can see where it's going. So what's the end of Parsha's bow? The mitzvah of tefillin. Mitzvah of tefillin. Vayulototafos bein einecha. Now there's a strange thing. Because as you know, the sadukim, somebody told me the kra'ayim. I remember hearing the kra'ayim. I once in my shir nor samech had a kararite. And he insisted that it was not true. Uh, that they don't. But I remember reading, whether it was the tzadukim or the kra'ayim. But whoever it was would place their tefillin over here between their eyes. Now, when you think about it, to a certain extent, that makes sense because this is we go up and we say, well, it's where the hairline is or was, depending on who I'm talking to. You know, my, um, um, I was once speaking at an Orlovsky Simcha, you know, and I said, you know, one thing about us Orlovsky is we all have our hair. We have heart disease and diabetes, but at least we have our hair. And one of my son-in-laws, who is holding on to a little bit of his hair, he spoke at a simcha, and he says, I may not have much hair, but I don't have diabetes and heart disease. So you tell me which one you would prefer. Definitely the hair. In any event, <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to keep your priorities straight. Anyway, so you put it in between your eyes at the hairline, or where your hairline was, yeah, and uh, that's where it goes. So that's Bene Necha. But it's not really Bene Necha, is it? I mean, score one for the Sadducees, yeah, I might say. Chas But uh, it seems to make more sense, yeah? So the word Bo is a brilliant word when you think about it. Bo means come. You have Bez and you have Aleph. You have two and they come together and they form one. Two, one. They come together. That's what Bo is, yeah? Bo. By the way, what's the opposite? Av. You have one who has a kid. In order to become a father, you have to have a kid. One becomes two. Aleph, Bez, Av. Yeah? So, Bo means come together. Come to me. Yeah? The whole parasha is talking about us coming to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And by the way, there are seven makos in Va'era and three in Bo. Coincidence? I think not. Right. <laughs> We're going to try that one one more time, yeah? <laughs> there are seven makos in Va'era and three in Bo. Coincidence? I think not. Excellent. Thank you very much. Anyway. 
Yes, you too can be part of the studio audience. <laughs> Obviously, we've set the bar very low. Anyway. <laughs> We're going to start having someone holding up signs for the audience. Anyway, but um, uh, no. And you find that the number 10 is often divided into 10 and 3. Yeah? So there are Asura Mamoros, 10 expressions said in 7 days. You see how 7 and 10 are broken down? Um, Avram and Lechacha is promised 10 lands. He gets 7 of them. 3, we're told in Devarim, will get Biyamosa Mashiach. Ten is divided into seven and three. Yeah, Eretz Chita Sa'ira Gefen Te'ena Verimon. Yeah, there are seven fruits that come from three water sources. Seven and three. You find this a lot, and that's because, as you know, the spheres. Those of you who are sphere savvy, yeah, you know that the spheres are divided up into the three what are called mochin, the higher ones, uh, which is either Keser, Chachman, Bina, or das, uh, there's different ways of doing it, and the lower seven ones. So if you take a look, it's very interesting. What were the first seven makos last week's parasha? Yeah? Tell Pyro, let my people go, or. Tell Pyro, let my people go, or. Tell Pyro, okay. When he reaches the last of the seven makos, he says, now I'm going to send this komagefosai. I'm sending all my plagues. Says the Gro, why? Because you find that a Kurdish Baruch has three weapons. He's got fire that he destroyed stone. He's got water that he destroyed the door of marble. And he has a veer that he destroyed the door of flogger. And with the Barad, we had all three. It was water with fire inside and kolos that came down. So all three weapons, meaning I'm sending my entire arsenal. And at this point, I'm done. I'm done. So what are these last three Makos? These Makos are for you. Yeah? I'm going to bring you Arba. Why? He got it to the bincha, ben bincha, esashe hisalalti b'mitzrayim. This is for the kids. Here's a marker for the kids. Right? I'm going to send gigantic swarms of Arba. Going to cover all of Mitzrayim. And they're just going to eat everything. Chomp, 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 chomp. When you think about it, it's pretty funny. Not if it's happening to you. Yeah? We had a plague of locusts in Eretzro in the 50s. Somebody told me that they were on a kibbutz. And... This cloud descends, and they eat everything. I said, why don't you swat it? He says, swat it, there's a gazillion of them. What are you supposed to do with them? He says, so the Temanim, they ran out, got a jar, and put a few of them in there to eat later, you know? And they just landed, and when they flew away, there was nothing. Everything was eaten. But it says clearly, that's for you. Why was there Marcus Choshech, says Rashi? Either for, to kill the bad Jews who couldn't come out, or so we could find where they hid all their treasures. The fact that the Mitzrim were pl- punished was almost, uh, you know, incidental. And of course, Marcus Bacharos, that was the one that was for us to make a difference between us and the Mitzrim. And that's why Kodesh Baruch Hu says many times, every Bachar belongs to me, etc. Yeah. So these last three Makos are specifically for Klai Yisrael. Bo, come together. This is me and you. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We're walking out together. Bein <clears throat> Einecha. There's a fascinating thing. You don't see over here. You think you see over here. You don't. You see over here. The optic nerve is in the back. That's where you put the knot of the tefillin. What you see with your eyes, if you remember this from science class, are two pictures upside down and reversed. Your brain has to take those two pictures, combine them, turn it right side up, and it does that over here. That's why when someone gets hit in the back of the head, they have trouble seeing. 
which seems a little counterintuitive. You can get hit in the back of the head. But it's, it's because you really see over there. It goes from the eyes to the back of your head through, if I recall correctly, ganglia, if I remember. And they crisscross right over here. This is Bene Necha. Nothing with sight takes place over here, but the two images from your eyes cross over here. That's Bene Necha and go straight back here where you actually see where you put the, the tefillin and the knot of the tefillin. It's the two, your two eyes that become one. It's bow. It's the idea of combining. Osius the Rebbe Yekiva says yeah, that when a Kosh Baruch was getting ready to write the Torah, every letter wanted to come first. Laman said, I'm the tallest. Tuf said, I'm worth the most in Gematria. Yud says, I fly above the line. I don't even touch anything. Everyone had a reason. Everyone was arguing where they should come first, except for Aleph. Aleph said nothing. And Hashem said, Aleph, why don't you say anything? And he said, because I'm a silent letter. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what he said. That's what I would have said. But, uh, but what Aleph actually said was, um, I'm the least. I'm only worth one. So Hashem said, I'm also only one. So he says, so you're going to start with me? He says, don't be ridiculous, you're only worth one. I'm going to go with Bez. Bez is the letter of bracha, yeah. But I'm going to save you for the Aserah Sedibros. Do you see what happens? From the creation of the world till the receiving of the Torah on Har Sinai, which, as you know, Last week's parsha from the Dad Lushanais of Geula, the fourth one is, I'm going to go to Har Sinai and give you the Torah. That's the end of the, of the Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim uh, process. When Moshe first asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why am I taking them out of Egypt? He said, so you'll come to this mountain, I'll give the Torah. So this was something that was already understood at that point. Yeah. So the entire base of creation, the entire process is leading up to the Aleph of Anochi Hashem Elokecha. The Bez becomes an Aleph. That's Bez. Right? That's Aleph. That's Bo. That's the two that become one. And so, when we say Bein Einech at the end of the parasha, the two things that you see in your eyes become one. They're joined together into one picture. Yeah? That is the essence of Bo, of two becoming one. So this week, where we have the actual story of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, and we go out and we begin that journey. So it's a story of us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu becoming one. To the point that when we come to Har Sinai, there are hundreds of Chazal that compare it to a wedding. An Ish and an Isha becoming Guf Echad, us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu joining together. And so I'd like to wish myself a hearty Mazel Tov on the occasion of my Bar Mitzvah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, that's about it for this week. So if you want more information about the podcast, please go to rabbiolovsky.com slash podcast. If you want to make a, any information about this particular podcast, it's rabbiolovsky.com slash podcast slash 14. If you want to know about any of my upcoming events, rabbiolovsky.com slash events. If you would like to contact me, it's rabbiolovsky.com slash contact. And if you would like to sponsor a podcast, yeah, in memory of a loved one, or in memory of a liked one, or in memory of a tolerated one. <laughs> we are non-discriminatory. 
So you want to go to rabbiolowski.com slash podcast and click on sponsor an episode. And so, Emir Hashem, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank you.